the more peaceful I am in presence, maybe even of loved ones, others who have heard of this work and they don't want to change. And I know how much we love to change those around us. Change actually happens not when we demand that they do different or throw all of the books that helped us into their face. We can actually create change as we just continue to embody our loving, compassionate, peaceful presence, which I believe is all of us at our core, because just as much as a stressed nervous system can communicate stress and throw off and stress out another nervous system, a peaceful, calm nervous system can entrain or sink and create peace and calm in stressed others around us. So, With the right tools, everyone can heal. That's a quote directly from our guest on today's show, and welcome back. If you're new here, my name is Emilio. On this show, we explore the depths of consciousness and how you can transform yourself. And if you found yourself in an endless cycle of starting something and stopping it and doing it all over again, you're in the right place because today's guest is a clinical psychologist who for years worked in therapy, realizing that people's traumas, their patterns were affecting them in their daily lives. And finally, Dr. Nicole LaPera, better known as the holistic psychologist, found herself frustrated with her work as a therapist, and she decided to go into a deep transformation journey back into herself. And what later emerged from that was this new holistic approach, comprehensive approach to mental well-being and to wellness overall. She took the social media world by storm and to date she has amassed a community of over 6 million people who she calls the self-healers community. She's the author of the best-selling book, How to Do the Work, a book that personally, for me, is foundational, I believe, for any embarking of personal development journey or healing journey that you're going to go into. Recently, she put out the workbook, How to Meet Yourself, which takes you through her key teachings and principles and allows you to be part of that process. And if we take a moment to reflect, guys, this is huge in the sense that you know humanity is going in the right direction when a psychologist is amassing millions and millions and millions of people to her work and how many people are willing to do the work and heal themselves. And I know that's why you're here and we're going to go deep into this episode. You're going to get so many nuggets of wisdom from the importance of regulating the nervous system. What are some of the triggers of self-betrayal? How to redefine trauma? Asking yourself, are you in love or in trauma? Why do we miss the red flags? Connecting with your authentic self ultimately. Because as Dr. Nicole found her purpose doing this work, I know that you, by peeling back the layers, will find that purpose as well. So you are in for a ride. This is a woman that Forbes magazine has said that is radically changing the business of mental health. So give it up for Dr. Nicole LaPera. Dr. Nicole LaPera, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am so good, Emilio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, no words to express how excited I am for this conversation. Just seeing you um, brings me so much hope and optimism by what you've been able to create in the world. I mean, knowing that we're living in a world where a psychologist has more followers than 
most celebrities in the world right now, that that in itself is something to acknowledge and and really honor you for that. Um, obviously, there's something universal about the topics that you're talking about, which have led people to become so resonant with your with your teachings and your work. I guess where I wanted to start off, um, there's so many directions we can go, but I guess where I wanted to start off is why you believe um, that now is the time that humanity is beginning to uncover uh, these holistic ways of seeing the world. I love that question. And even hearing you talk about a psychologist and how many followers, it's sometimes hard um, to acknowledge that 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 is me um, in so many ways because um, especially so much of what I was taught in my training, even, I mean, one of the biggest things we were not to do was don't be a human. Definitely don't be on social media. Don't share yeah. any aspects of your story. So to speak to your point, um, and of course I am by far not the only psychologist, nor was I when I went on social media some like three plus years ago. Mm. Um, though again, knowing how many of us out there are now sharing our stories, our tools, what happens in our room and engaging these conversations quite globally is very hopeful um, for me included. Um, and to mm. answer your question, um, I think, and I had no expectation when I created the Holistic Psychologist account. For me then personally, um, it was more of an action in my own healing journey. Having come to the awareness of all of the different ways that up until that point I was watering down or centering my truth. I, I wasn't allowing myself to be a human with a story. Um, that was my main intention mm. with that account was to create a space where I could begin to live more authentically as me, um, sharing what I've been through as a psychologist as well with no expectation or of how many other people would be on the receiving end. And I was blown away, Emilio, to see that universal resonance that I was speaking and my journey wasn't as lonely as I had imagined it to be. I think most mm. of us, a lot of us at least, have this idea that we're alone um, oh. in the struggles that we're having. And to speak to your point, I think as society has evolved now over centuries of time, the way most of us humans are living in the cities that we're living in, the structures and the relationships that we're finding ourselves in, mm. it's it's not the most functional. Um, so for a lot of different cultural, societal um, reasons, I think over time, humans have began to struggle more and more. And what has happened up until more recently is not much of it was was talked about. Um, outside of you know destigmatizing the need for for help and support around mental health, which happened a bit prior, um, nothing was really being spoken about. And when now it is being spoken about, not only because we're struggling so much, but this mind-body wisdom, this holistic stuff, yeah. this medicine, if you will, has been around for up and from the start of time. Um, so it's not that it's new. I think where we're getting mm -hmm. to a point is we're all struggling a lot. And the ways that we thought we were addressing the struggles, we are finally coming to the realization that they're not necessarily working. And many more of us now are beginning to speak about these more holistic ways of returning, in a sense, to mm. you know our native way of being that has actually created a lot of healing. And I believe that's why now is the time. And now so many more of us are coming to social media and these you know, free accessible apps and having these conversations on now a very global scale. Hmm. It's so interesting because speaking from my experience, I look at my generation, we're called uh, Gen Z. I'm, I'm 24 mm -hmm. on, the, on the older end of the generation, but 
it, it's it's actually a, a fact now is that that generation is now one of the largest generations in the world um and it's going to be overtaking the workforce and we've you know we've grown up we've looked at uh social media since for me it was since i was 10 years old i had an instagram account it's insane to believe that but and and now maybe the younger generation is even younger they're getting their hands on their ipads and you know Mm -hmm. making an account doing these things where we get stimulated a lot um and and as i've heard you speak about it this isn't a a lifestyle that that regulates uh our nervous system and our nervous system you've spoken a lot about that and we look at how we're living in the world and the nervous system is dysregulated constantly. Um, you know, we, you talk about good stress and then there's other maladaptive forms of stress. How do you teach people how to learn more about, you know, regulating that nervous system and being aware of what is going on when, they, when they're consuming information or when they're interacting with people that they love or just being in the external world and external environment? I think before we can witness the impact that all of the different environments and in, in human form and in virtual form that we and relationships form included mm. that we engage in that cause us stress, I think the most foundational and one of the most common concepts and things I talk about um, across social media now is the fact that our nervous system is foundational to not only our body's physical health, but our emotional health and the way we mm. function from top to bottom in our relationships and ultimately like in our lives. And I share that having come through, you know, almost 10 plus years of training um, in clinical psychology. And yeah. while I did take neuroscience classes, they were so minimal. Um, they referenced that we have a brain and a spinal cord and pretty much boop, boop, that was that was it and done. Mm. Um, and it wasn't highlighted as important and integral in our functioning as it rightfully is. I mean, it controls everything from you know, like I said, the clarity of our thought to the way we're we're balancing and regulating our emotions mm. or we're not. And the large majority of us, I have yet to meet the human who has had those really consistently present, emotionally attuned caregivers. That's just not the reality. And some of this, again, is generational, is the yeah. tools and the information that all of our past generations that raised us or raised the parents who raised us had accessible to them. And I mean, my parents, um, being older, I'm going to be 40, and my parents were 42 and 45 when they had me. So they were very much of a school mm. of training of parenting where emotional needs weren't weren't a thing. It was physical yeah. needs only, and that was a feat um, to have children to physically be able to provide for them. So saying mm. all of that to say, um, we have to understand that we are living. Our nervous system is directing our daily behaviors. And so many of us, because we didn't have that safe environment or we had abusive happenings or we didn't have an emotionally attuned caregiver who could mm. help us regulate our emotions. And I keep going back to emotions because our nervous system has such a role in our ability to stay you know, regulated and our body system to stay in harmony um, that before we can even then notice how stressful our daily life is, Um, on social media or even just walking outside of our door for those of us living in cities with this noise and things that stress our nervous system out. We have to understand again of how integral our nervous system is and how impacted it is before we even get to our current environment by Mm. those past environments that we grew up in. Yeah. And speaking about the past, um, 
I think this is one thing that happens to so many people, um, what you refer to as the spaceship. Um, basically, it's when we're going around the day and we just dissociate from our body to avoid feeling and coming in contact with those past emotions that we don't want to confront from our childhood. Um, and the spaceship is is interesting because one of the intentions that we set for this episode is is presence. And you talk a lot about you know, develop the, developing this consciousness, this awareness of our day-to-day -day lives, um, even making it a daily practice just to give ourselves moments of, of daily consciousness. Um, can you speak about a little bit of what happens when we're, when we leave our body? Um, because the way I've, I've viewed it is it's actually our soul that probably says, ah, I'm not, I'm not fulfilling my purpose here. I'm going to go do some shit in the astral realms and uh, <laughs> leave my body for a second. But yeah, what's actually going on when, when we dissociate from our body? I really appreciate you asking this um, because I think before I started knowing, even having the language to say this is dissociation, um, I think a lot of us, when I understood what it was, it caused a lot of issues in my life outside of just not really having memories um, never really feeling connected, not really ever feeling, you know, fulfilled or or truly happy or grounded um, in my relationships or in my life, really in general. I didn't have the words for what it was that was happening, and more importantly, why it was that it was happening. And I just felt like something was wrong with me um, for a very long time. And when I understood the nervous system and how that's actually a state of protection that I'll go into in a second. Um, then I was able to relieve not only the shame of, well, okay, it's not that I don't deserve to connect with others or, you know, it's not all of these stories that I told myself it was. It's actually my body is doing what my body was wired to do. Mm -hmm. And now that opened the opportunity for me to locate the underlying cause, if you will, right? If it's my nervous system that's shutting me down, then I got really curious about nervous system health and states of nervous system arousal and, you know, mm. opened up the question of, well, is there anything we can do about it? Because that's usually the next question that we want to answer. And yeah. the answer is absolutely yes. Our whole body, our mind, our cells are, you know, is, is able to change throughout life. So nervous system and why it's so important in this state of dissociation or disconnection happens in childhood when we didn't have that mm. supportive presence or that safe space, which includes not only the home that we grew up in, the relationships that we were cared for in. And why relationships are so important to the human is because as a human infant, we are completely dependent. If once we're born, someone else needs to show up to some extent to keep us physically alive, to at minimum feed us, make sure we're somewhat sleeping and that we're cleaned mm. um, to sustain life. Um, so we need, it's it's we've been termed or referenced as interpersonal creatures or wired to connect. And essentially all that means mm. is we need someone else to help us not only meet our needs, to help our nervous system regulate. Because when we're born, our nervous system can't regulate through stress on its own. Simple example is I become stressed. My body activates. Usually when I'm an infant, I cry mm. out in distress. Hopefully someone who's a present, which not all of us had, and then be attuned enough, not consumed by their own life to say, oh, there's a crying infant. Let me go check and see what's happening and calm them down, maybe soothe them back to sleep. And that was a just a simple example of stress resulted in the distress of crying out. An attuned caregiver helped soothe me, however they soothed me, shushed me, hushed me, rocked me back into mm. calm. 
when I don't have that, and this isn't the one off where I came home from work for all of you parents listening and I had a bad day and I can't be present to my children. This is when that person was never physically present, when they maybe were physically present, but they were so distracted or consumed with their overwhelming feelings that they were unable to be present with you. Mm. Then what happens is those feelings that are living in your body from just daily stresses of developing and having peer issues as you enter into school, um, all of that lives in your body. And I think that's something also we don't, we're never taught. Um, yeah. We hear this word emotions. And especially as a psychologist, I was taught to, you know, one of the biggest things we do is help people tend to their emotions because mm. if they don't, they have emotional diagnoses or disorders. We're never taught what emotions are. And emotions begin at least as sensations that live in our body. So yeah. now if we're a child in a state of dependency and things are feeling stressful and we don't have someone to come and help us consistently feel safe in those stressful moments, we'll adapt because mm. we can't pack our bag and walk out. Our nervous system will begin to keep us safe by sh shutting us down. And for me, I describe it as, as my spaceship, not even knowing what I was doing, I was yeah. living in my mind, disconnected, shut down from the overwhelming sensations in my body. Hmm. A huge concept in your teachings is this concept around self-betrayal. Um, you know, I, we just had a conversation with another psychologist, Gay Hendricks, um, in his book, The Big Leap. He talks about, it's such an interesting concept, the upper limiting problem. Just to quickly, you know, go over that. It's what he says is, from my understanding that, you know, when we reach a capacity um, where we believe like this is as much abundance, love, success um, that I can receive, immediately the self-sabotage goes in and, and like, re like programs you to, no, you can't pass that limit because we haven't expanded our capacity. And what I learned in talking about emotions is that in this, in this training of feeling those higher elevated emotions, as Dr. Joe Dispenza would say, we are training ourselves to have more expanded emotions, training ourselves to receive more abundance, receive more of this love. Um, but in your perspective, this self-sabotage or self-betrayal, um, what are the main triggers that cause that to happen in people that, you know, limit them from, from being where they are? I'll throw out a really simple, um, basic, common, the one, and that's unfamiliar. Anytime I engage with something that's new, there's a protective part, um, evolutionarily driven in my subconscious mind. So again, I like to really simplify all of that operating machinery um, that is, you know, emotional, that's grounded in survival, that out of my conscious awareness controls my heartbeat and my breathing and make sure that all of my systems are continuing to live me on another day. Mm -hmm. um, all of that lives in this, in this deeper um, emotional part, part of my mind. Um, and that regulates literally my body. Um, and I need that to regulate my body without me paying attention to it. Um, and the more that, you know, I'm able to separate myself. I'm sorry, what was that question? I got distracted by something. The triggers of the self-betrayal. Oh, triggers of self. Oh, so so that's so funny. Um, so hmm. the unfamiliar space of yeah. the newness is what 
triggers my self-betrayal. So I get so familiar with the habits and patterns that are living in my body, that I'm thinking in my thoughts and in terms of emotions. If I'm so disconnected that my baseline, that I don't have a connection to those even expansive feelings, any feelings, right? If I'm on my spaceship and I can't tolerate through any degree of stress, stress in its of itself, happiness in and of itself. If I grew up in a home that there was limited happiness or there was a lot of sadness, that is an unfamiliar space. And because I'm wired to survive, my that primal part of me loves things that are predictable. Even if what comes next is a predictable, unfortunate outcome, consequence that I want to avoid, according to that subconscious mind that controls all of my systems, it's preferable to that uncertainty of that unknown. Um, Because anytime I I shift out and I try something new, what I'm opening up the possibility to, even if you and I can sit here and be like, wow, possibility is great. We can create anything infinite into possibility. According to my subconscious brain, all it is saying or seeing is the possibility of threat in that expansive unknown space. Mm. So self-betrayal is just us continuing to operate in that habitual way because it does feel uncomfortable as we begin to do new things because that's our protective mechanism, keeping us repeating the habits and patterns that are predictable. Yeah. And, and speaking about the the unpredictable, the unknown, it's a mindset shift because we start seeing how being in the unknown is actually what brings all the magic mm-hmm. into our life because we're in this quantum superposition state of like what's going to happen next i fall into this trap a lot and i know a lot of young people um fall into this trap of like just going through the motions in their habits you know going to the gym every single day at the same time which i i do um you know sometimes eating the same meal every day we're just expecting more of the same Mm -hmm. and then we we can't change really what you're teaching is you know the psychology of transformation from a holistic point of view um, and I read in your book that you mentioned that you were you are obsessed with stories of spontaneous remission. Um, I've had the amazing opportunity to witness spontaneous healings um, at retreats and things like that. But coming from your perspective, what are some patterns that lead up to people having spontaneous remissions? Um, I share that it's so interesting my relationship with those stories. Um, Because historically, when I would, I was always, as long as I can remember, really fascinated by the mind, the power of thought and these moments, right, where people are doing seemingly subhuman, not only mental capacities, but actually healing their physical body. Um, And I would read these stories, Emilio, for a very long time and be like, wow, you know, good for you, whoever (laughs) it was, and kind of reserve or limit, this is how it's kind of all kind of there, that that was a case for them. And I didn't doubt that it happened to them. And I even was reading, you know, multiple groups of people that had these crazy spontaneous remission stories. And I kind of somewhat reserved um, myself as being the exclusion, um, the person that that wouldn't happen to. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've come to realize again is that that exclusioning of myself in in a way was so much connected to my, my own limiting beliefs, beliefs about health and wellness and how it's created and maintained or how it is in. And, you know, after really unpacking all of that, um, I've come to realize that any of us, all of us are capable of that level of change. Because when I hear spontaneous remission, right, all what I'm translating that to at least is like mind, body, right? Holistic activation, change, healing. Um, and I believe that we all have that inherent capacity within us. Of course, that will warrant changes 
um, oftentimes in our action and showing up mm. in a new way and maybe caring for that nervous system that I was just describing and making new choices. Um, but I truly believe that the unifying component is 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 quite universal and it begins in accessing that that field of consciousness like you're describing, really living the experience because I could sit here until I'm blue in the face and say, yeah. listeners, you're not your thoughts. You're the awareness. You're the listener behind your thoughts, right? And if you're so connected, as most of us are, to our thinking mind, to the thoughts, to the stories, to the way we're coloring all of our experiences throughout our day, then that's just words. When you really mm. drop into living as the observer of your thoughts, of right, living as the observer of these emotions that are living in your body, and when you really touch the field in that way, um, then I believe that's the unifying piece that allows pretty much any choice, any intentional choice you make from that conscious space, any action, right, that you make in alignment with right that deeper space, your heart, that desire for yourself. I believe mm -hmm. that possibilities of transformation are, are limitless and of course include things as miraculous seeming as spontaneous remissions yeah and, and speaking about that field that unified field of consciousness um you know going off what you're doing right now it's it's making monumental shifts in the field because you know we've had people on the podcast like lynn mctaggart her work with the power of eight um and healing from literally remote parts of the world where you can send a thought to someone. If you have a bunch of people's thinking the same thought, you can heal someone. And I'm part of a coherence healing circle with Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. And I've seen someone uh, get in a car accident, um, minor car accident, this like little boy, no more than 10 years old. And he went to the hospital and they called our group. They're like, can you guys do a emergency healing? And we, you know, a couple of people got together. They did the healing on him. And then the mom called us crying and like a voice note saying, you know, these people, this kid, um, his shoulder was dislocated. And within 10 minutes of you guys placing the intention, the shoulder popped back in place. He is so young that there's no possibility that he would have been able to do that himself. The doctor said it's a miracle. Um, you know, these things happen. And and it's it's so fascinating that we're able to like hear them, hear them, hear about these stories. Is there any story in, in your practice, in, in your life that has really impacted the way you see the world and the way you see healing? I have chills, first of all, Amelia, as you're sharing <laughs> that, um, because that's just so you know emblematic of, of this power um, that we're talking about. And I don't have necessarily a specific story, though. I've, I've read a lot about you know, non-local healings or the power of prayer and compassion um, and intention setting and mm. something that I like to, you know, kind of uh, uh, practically simplify um, that I do see, you know, very much happening um, within the community of self-healers and of the self-healer circle is the similar kind of non-local shift or changing or the scientific word, if you will, is entrainment um, that happens when we actually change the state of our nervous system. Um, and this is a really practical way to literally change the world for all of you listeners. And what yeah. entrainment simply means is just as much as, and I'm sure many listeners have lived this experience of having maybe your partner, a loved one, a colleague, or someone you know, right? Or maybe even don't know, but enter a room you're in and you could feel like, oh, that person didn't have a good day. You feel the stress. You're almost waiting, right, for the shrapnel, uh -huh, or if uh -huh. you know what, what that person, <laughs> if you know their shrapnel, you might get the hell out of the room. Yeah. Um, you can feel, I'm being silly, but what I'm describing is, right, the couple things I'm describing, the unconscious communication of our 
nervous systems and our, our heart coherence or the energy really simply that both of those bodies are communicating. So I don't even have to pay attention. My body just feels, right? And for this example, it's the stress of this other human. And often what happens is very easily my nervous system can entrain or sink, we can use a simpler word, with that stress. I become stressed because they're stressed. And now there's two stressed humans cycling mm. in a ball of stress. And however it is, we both attempt to habitually deal with our stress, which usually isn't helpful. Other more empowering scenario that happens as we begin to heal and drop into our body that does house a nervous system and learn the different cues and markers for when my body's stressed and learn even how to intentionally and consciously bring it back into peace. Very beautiful, empowering shift and change can happen in the opposite direction where the more peaceful I am in presence, maybe even of loved ones, others who have heard of this work and they don't want to change. And I know how much we love to change those around us change actually happens not when we demand that they do different or throw all of the books that helped us into their face. Mm -hmm. We can actually create change as we just continue to embody our loving, compassionate, peaceful presence, which I believe is all of us at our core, because just as much as a stressed nervous system can communicate stress and throw off and stress out another nervous system, a peaceful, calm nervous system can entrain or sink and create peace and calm in stressed others around mm -hmm. us. So a objective, practical way, um, and this I think maybe can bring it home for listeners of how powerful we can actually be, which is when we really harness ourselves and our own heart-based compassionate power, we are communicating to the literal physical humans and environments around us and um, can change it in a, a more peaceful, loving direction, the actions. Mm -hmm. Creating coherence. I love that. Yes. And and your community is called the Self Healers. Um, and you've said like, if you, as just summarizing what you just said, as you heal yourself, you heal the world. Um, and, you know, I wanted to ask you because when we're, when we're healing ourselves, there might be this misinterpretation that self-healing means we don't need anyone else. Like we're not depending on anyone else. Uh, no one's going to help us because we can do it all by ourselves. I've fallen into that trap. Like I don't need this, you know, doctor to check up on me because I know so much about my, <laughs> my body that he knows, you know, it's like uh, we think we know more. Um, and, and as we gain knowledge, we empower ourselves to be able to make those, those right choices. But I wanted to ask you, what is this misinterpretation with self-healing and how does that relate to community? I really appreciate you asking that because I see that misinterpretation flying around quite often. And it, at our core, inherently, as the being, the human being that we are, we can't operate as a solo. Um, when I was describing, describing childhood and the state of dependency and being wired to actually need another person, right, as an interpersonal creature, mm -hmm. the reality of our survival even being possible because we banded together, not only to um, differentiate, you know, daily or daily living roles and I hunt and you take care of the children and you make the food or you grow the food, whatever it is, for the support, the felt protection against the predators that were real um, against us as a species when we were right connected safely with someone outside of ourselves. So even believing um, that humans can and ought to, and that what self-healing is professing is this model of living on an island outside of the support of relationships is just an impossibility. It, it would create a situation that most of us are likely trying to heal from. Um, one of the most important aspects of healing is not just any relationship, 
a safe relationship, a safe space to mm. not for many of us to maybe break the habit and patterns of showing up as the roles that we're used to playing. Oh, I'm the caretaker. I'm the helper. I'm always this person in all of my relationships. And to begin to experiment with putting down that role or that part of our identity, while it might be part of us, and maybe beginning to express the thoughts or beliefs that didn't have room or space in my childhood environments, maybe giving life to what we were talking about earlier, feelings that I wasn't necessarily supported, or maybe I was taught not to specifically share a certain feeling because it might make mommy or daddy upset or, you know, real men don't show certain feelings or whatever the direct yeah. or indirect messaging was. So relationships, um, we we need to learn to relate. Uh, most of us are struggling in terms of our patterns of relating in our current relationships. So what self-healing really does, and to speak to your point, it absolutely means seeking out supportive experts feel in the field professionals but something else i mm -hmm. see as a pattern is so many of us and this is definitely me speaking to a past self of my own we defer we think that because they went to school and it doesn't mean that people can't offer us suggestions things that they've seen work scientific evidence in the field a lot of us take a deference role or we defer we think that oh well you must know better than me. And maybe we even do this just in our social circles, right? We we take the new suggestion that's working for our friend in terms of their nutrition or working out and we just apply it immediately directly to us. Mm. And then we wonder why our body, right, isn't responding. And I see the same um, having been both on both sides of the doctor, patient or client relationship, if you will. And I think that's dangerous too. Completely, yeah. right, turning over um, you're knowing for a doctor who's not you and just taking what their word is, um, is also, a, in my opinion, a version of a dysfunctional mm -hmm. pattern of relating that's not helpful. So while relationships are fundamental, I think we need to evolve into safe relationships where we can have space to give our opinions, to say, you know what, that while I agree, doctor, that that's a good suggestion, it doesn't fit for me, for my symptoms in my life for this reason. And we can become a collaborator because when, when we talk about being wired to connect, it's, it's being connected in a collaboration and equalize a reciprocal energetic exchange as opposed to all of these different dysfunctional ways of relating. And when, when I hear mm. this misinterpretation of self-healing or, or this idea that I grew up too in a family whose mantra that culture or family is everything and certain things just override, right? Certain relationships are just protected yeah. um, from these designations of whether or not it's functional or dysfunctional for me. Um, again, I even invite us, while I do honor and respect the role of culture and tradition and honoring relationships, again, I think that we can get curious as to, are we putting ourselves or continuing patterns of relating to others in service of things that aren't necessarily allowing us to be that expansive, creative, collaborative, heart-based being that we are? Am I compromising myself and then therefore my relationships in service, right, of deferring or of assuming that, you know, someone else has my best interests better than I do or that family overrides my own individual needs? I think we need to find mm -hmm. a space for families, honor the individual difference that allowed us to, to thrive as it once did. Yeah, and you mentioned a key word there, which is curious, getting curious about, you know, what 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 is this doctor prescribing me? What is actually in that medicine? Or being curious in general, like, I feel like it's one of my superpowers that anyone can cultivate is just having this 
or not having, just rediscovering the childlike wonder, this sense of awe in the world. And I remember when I was in my first year of college, 20 years old, and I went through, as you mentioned, the dark night of the soul, had my spiritual awakening, um, and I started meditating a lot. And when I would open my eyes, I would see the world with literally this like childlike goggles. I would see every everyone more clearly out. Someone would say something and instead I would just like default to like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I believe that too. I'd be like, what, what did they just say? Um, <laughs> I don't know if that resonates with me. Um, and you call this the work, um, your book, How to Do the Work. One of the main goals of the work is to reconnect with that wonder. So I just wanted to speak into a little bit of that, of a lot of young people, this is around the age where we might start losing curiosity or losing wonder, or maybe even younger. Yes. Yes. Uh, so how do we help people not lose that superpower that we all innately have? I really appreciate this question, question Emilio, and want to honor that, you know, sadly, I do think it begins um, quite young, not only in those early, you know, family systems and environments, sadly, um, I think in a lot of our school systems, at least here in the States, um, wonder, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there's limited space um, for those kind of more childlike abilities that, in my opinion, yeah. are core abilities of of humans. Just because we've aged in years um, doesn't disconnect us from our ability to outside of even being in wonder or curious or seeing things anew, like you're describing, being creative. Um accessing our imagination, the ability to think and dream about things that can't yet or aren't yet in physical presence or form um, as mm -hmm. I imagine them to be. Um, when I say creativity, I don't just mean traditionally like we think of like, oh, I'm an artist, so I draw art. Yeah. Um, I believe all of us humans, when we're talking about that field, are creative beings. Uh, when our thoughts and our intention align with our actions, we create a physical, we shift our energy into, right, a physical, become the Man. observer of a physical now, right, experience <laughs> in our environment. Not to use the buzzword, manifestation. Not, <laughs> right, just the, the science principle of it is just like the energy, you know, interacting, shifting, changing form. And so I'm sharing all of that because so many of us do believe we we limit that to, where we limit that to childhood. Mm -hmm. We believe that we mature out of it or, or family obligations take over. And maybe we were even given that messaging directly some of us might have been squashed our artistic endeavors or you know not allowed to be imaginative um, in childhood or, or curiosity questions I mean I know how questions can be received by parents um, not always so open and engaging with questions so even being curious you might have been the child who thought oh gosh you asked too many questions shut up already you know I don't know go ask someone else mm. um, that actually we don't age right out of that and so many of us are given that direct messaging or are because back to the nervous system if we're in survival mode one of the first things we lose access to or everything i just described can't imagine not my survival is my priority this future that i'm going to imagine is not not the time or the space for that now um creativity i'm mean, create i have to make sure i live into this next moment then i'll i'll worry about creating something right curious i'm only curious to get the hell away from whatever's threatening me right now so when mm. we're again being raised by caregivers as i was um, so just, you know, as part of my personal experience, when I think back, um, play, even the ability to be playful. My mom was never really playful with me. She was never really, you know, imaginative or creative, even though mm. she would reference in childhood and show me paintings that she used to do, right? 
I never saw that experience. And it wasn't that she lost the ability. I mean, it was in a sense, it was that she was so caught in survival mode where her priority was just getting through the day and keeping her children alive mm. that we lose access to all of that childlike space. So I speak about it as part of my work and rediscovering the inner child and connect it all to this conversation we're having about how important it is to reconnect, to balance my nervous system, to reconnect with my heart. Mm. And then I get to begin those choices again. I get to reintegrate those creative moments, those curious moments, those imaginative moments in my day. And again, the conversation we were having earlier about tolerating the uncertainty comes back and applies here. Because one of the things when we're talking about getting curious, right? I have a question. Let me go research the answer. I have to be open and willing to receive the answer because it might not be an answer that I want to hear. Yeah. And a lot of times, right? Not on some deep, and none of this might even be conscious. We just, you know, maybe we're, we're, we've heard this concept and, you know, I just can't get around to researching it and I don't know why it just never, mm. on my, you know, and it might be because there's part of me that doesn't really want to read that concept. Right. Mm. That is because once I read it, it's kind of like that. We can't unknow, right? Once you see something, it's really hard to unsee that um, it's there now. So that's just something that came to mind with curiosity yeah. in particular that I think does prevent us because to be curious, then we need to be like you. If you're going to read something new, um, chances are you're going to be at least want to be somewhat receptive to engaging with this new idea. I um, mean, back to that unfamiliar, that subconscious, that preference to be in those habits and patterns, mm. even that questioning of this new, maybe uncomfortable information is too out of my comfort zone. So then I just oh, I avoid it. Oh, I just never get to it. Oh, I just didn't read that article. Yes. And and you mentioned being in survival state um, as you were talking about your childhood with your mom and, and the play nature. Um, and it's like we can't create when we're in survival mode. It's yeah. nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned the heart. The heart is the most creative center in our body. Um, that fourth chakra, um, which I wanted to ask you about your tattoos later. But <laughs> um there's one thing that I that I wanted to ask you about. We haven't really mentioned the the word or the, the concept of trauma. Um, and, you know, you mentioned in your book how trauma isn't necessarily like these huge things that can happen in people's lives. There could be like little moments of trauma that we might not recognize. Um, so how do you help people first, like understand that maybe they did have a little bit of trauma in their childhood and then working through that uh, to get to the other side of of this healing journey. Funny enough, um, glad you asked, because funny enough, we've been indirectly, this whole conversation um, and the nervous system and this dysregulation, the impact of these early environments and mm. our self and this lack of then self-expression that we develop over time, the more consistently that happens, um, what we've been talking about is the impact of, of trauma, even me describing. My mom was present, there was food on my table, right? There was a human who put me to bed at night, but mm. emotionally she was as if a ghost living in the home. Um, so I think the part to start is to expand or remove the definition or the application of the word trauma to an event. Um, historically, even in the field up until the 90s, we applied trauma to an event that crossed a certain threshold. If yeah. there was instances of a sexual abuse, neglect, a, a parent who was incarcerated, really active substance abuse. I'm referencing 
um, the very popularly cited ACEs study, where mm -hmm. they they researched that no matter what time this happened in our childhood, we carry emotional, psychological, and physical impacts. At that time, and this is what very confusing for me, because having worked with people that had a lot of ACEs or moments of those big events, I had seen a lot of similarity in the way we coped, in the struggles that I myself, who hadn't had those big events, was having that people who had them were. I noticed for me, like I said, a, in my stage of disconnection, I noticed limited memories, all things that really wrapped up into what I was taught happens when you experience these big bad events so for me at first i was really confused um i i was concerned that there was something inherently that that was wrong with me that must be explaining why i'm struggling in so many ways when quote unquote nothing bad happened until i really understood that again removing the word trauma from even the event and applying trauma is a how it happened to me. It's a function of the effects of the event on my mind and my body. And when I don't have or I don't feel consistently supported through, for some of us, it's daily life stress, the stress of developing, of growing, of navigating emotions and life as a child. If I'm not consistently supported, just like I described myself not having been, I will adapt. I will cope. I will suffer and live with trauma in my mind and my body. And that's why the habits, the way we then try to protect ourselves, self-betray, engage in dysfunctional relationships, all look the same because it's not about what happened. And this, again, isn't the one-offs when I can't be available because I had a bad week at work. Mm. This is when we had the parent who was hardly ever emotionally present, who maybe always invalidated our emotions, um, who always maybe invalidated our reality. We would share things with them and they would tell us that's not what happened for whatever reason based, again, in their own conditioning. The more consistently that happens, like you were talking about our soul, right, yelling out, it knows, right? Though it can't, our body can't do anything but adapt. And then we begin these dysfunctional habits and patterns trying to cope. And we wonder why we're struggling because again, quote unquote, nothing happened. So mm -hmm. I will be the biggest proponent to continue to share my story um, and illustrate the different ways that we can be living that impact or have that impact of trauma living in our bodies that isn't as traditional um, as the definition had once been applied. And when we do that, I think we can similarly offer, why I speak so readily about it, that relief. So anyone out there listening who's like, geez, I'm struggling, I'm stuck. I'm, I've checked all these boxes in life and still I don't feel fulfilled. You know, what's wrong with me? Um, chances are nothing's wrong with you. Likely you've adapted in ways possibly from an, a threatening, unsafe, insecure maybe emotionally misattuned or unattuned, unavailable environment. And now you're just living in this cycle as a result of that. Hmm. This is the million dollar question. Are in relationships for people, uh, are we in love or are we in trauma? <laughs> I think the large majority of us, um, and again, because we have to, to not to, to relinquish the shame and hold space for that compassion, the way we learn, if we really wanna be simple, to be in a relationship, as the interpersonal wired creature that I am ready to learn that is in those first relationships. So whatever it is that we had to do more of or less of or, or show or not show or however it is that we had to be to maintain that safety and that connectedness. Because again, that's connected to our survival in childhood and unconsciously we know that. So instead of packing the bag and leaving and saying, you know what, this home's not a good fit, 
we fit our way in. Um, and then we repeat that. We become school age and we develop peer relationships. And then over time, they modify into romantic relationships. And if we think back and are honest, chances are we see the same patterning, right? I never show this particular feeling in my relationship. I struggle with a word for the intention of the day, vulnerability in all of my relationships. If we think back, chances are you didn't feel safe showing that emotion or feeling vulnerable. Or you didn't have that safe space in childhood. So the simple answer to the question is, as adults, most of us are engaging because what a trauma bond is, is just that repetition of that dysfunctional pattern in my relationship. They're not doomed. Um, the relationship that I'm currently in with my one partner, Lolly, and I began absolutely in a trauma bond, which is simply met. We were unconscious and we're, we were repeating habits and patterns that served both of us separately in our original relationships. And it just so happened, oh, fit together quite nice and with a lot of conflict mm. in all of the ways both of us were used to dealing with it. And so over time, as we both came to our own consciousness around this and began to look at the role we were playing and give ourselves opportunities to create change, um, now our dynamic is moving much more into that space of authentic self-expression. And I put that last part in for anyone who's wondering, um, who is like, yeah, I have trauma bond patterns in my relationship. It's not doomed. Um, it doesn't mean run for the hills. It just means become conscious and begin to do your part, at least, of breaking those patterns because there is a part you're playing, even if you're unconscious to it. Yeah. And and one quote um, in your Instagram, it says, red flags don't feel like red flags if they feel like home. Yeah. So, so that really goes to show like we don't we don't even know consciously that we're replaying past patterns from our childhood. Um and we don't see the red flags. It's happened to me so many times. Like I'm in a business partnership and the red flags completely mm -hmm. just, you know, brush past me. Why, why does that happen? Goes back to this running theme here, which is the unfamiliar. Yeah. Right. Even if you have the friends shouting from you at the rooftops, Emilio, no, it's just like that other business guy. Don't you know where that went? <laughs> right. There's something inherently familiar about it, that home-like feeling. Uh -huh. So if you imagine or, or meet a person right, who doesn't bring up or a, a relationship or a business opportunity, right, that doesn't allow those old familiar patterns to be easeful, that will inherently feel uncomfortable. Anytime we try to create change or show up differently, um, for me, it, it meant in, what included in my changing of relationships was boundary implementation, putting new limits. Um, I was someone who always put others and their perceived needs above my own. I had, I overstepped my energetic limits, my my emotional availability, because if someone else needed me, I was there. Um, as I determined that that didn't that allowed me to continue in patterns of stressing out my nervous system, and I really did need to learn how to create space and regulate myself. That meant I have to start saying no and creating space. So logically, this is something that's going to really help me, and even feels good when I don't have to hear you and your problem on the other end of the phone call. And at the same time, it feels uncomfortable because now I've done something new, unfamiliar. I now have to receive whatever your new reaction might be to at least at minimum the expectation I just violated because you're used to me now being there. Um, so even when we're changing in service of this imagined future that we'd like to walk into alignment with, it still is bringing up that discomfort. Um, so when you're mm. faced with a, you know, a business opportunity again and it 
does bring up that old familiar dynamic, there is a subconscious part of us that even if it knows it's not serving us, we get to show up as we're used to showing up, even if it's the victim to how they're showing up. That's how we're used to functioning in our relationship. So if I shift and I start to empower myself, put a new limit, say no, whatever it is in that moment for me, while I might be moving in that new direction, I'm still going to have to walk through the discomfort of not knowing how they're going to react and then seeing how they're going to react. And then there was a reason I avoided that for so long. And then maybe challenging, right? Some of these thoughts, mm. beliefs, perceptions of me that might have kept me contained in that stuck pattern. So as all things, anytime we're venturing into a new space, this is why so many of our loved ones are like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, if you come to me with another one of these relationship issues, can't you see it? The reality of it is, is no. Um, and even if I can see doing something new feels so uncomfortable, so unsafe, because it's, again, it's bringing back that childhood mode where there was a lack of safety. There was something that that I was trying to avoid by doing this this other way. Mm. It's the power of choice. And, and we can't make new choices if we're stuck in the past or even predicting the same familiar future, um, projecting that outward. One of the underlying themes in, in your whole work is we talked about how we disconnect from our authentic self. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this authentic self with a capital S um, just to like leave people off because, you know, when I look at my generation um, coming out of, of a pandemic, I graduated college literally in the middle of the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of people were asking, like, what do I do now? Like wh what? And this buzzword, we're hearing it everywhere, which is purpose, you know, yeah. uh, and one of the main things, themes in, in, in the interviews that I've been doing is like helping people connect with a purpose. And I think speaking about curiosity without curiosity, uh, I don't think we can find our passions without our passions. We can't find an ultimate, you know, purpose that we want to that we want to have in our lives. But you know, what would, what advice would you give someone to begin unwrapping those layers of inauthenticity, connect with their authentic self to truly kind of lay the grounds for their purpose? Or, or I think the main thing that our generation struggles with is feeling directionless. So connecting with the authentic self to point direction toward, you know, something greater than themselves. I really appreciate um, that you're using and introducing and bringing up this idea of purpose. Because mm -hmm. um, on a personal note, I will share with everyone listening that that this idea of purpose was a concept. I'd read about it. I heard it's important. Um, and I have even read about, you know, inspired books by people that I really resonate with. And who's coming to mind is I was in my early 20s um, and I met the work of Dr. Wayne Dyer. And coming through, you know, a traditional clinical psychology training program, similarly, he did just like I did um, and shifted, you know, his work from practice to writing books. And one of his books was a, a bit of like his own journey, his own story of that evolution. I've read all of his books, but the one I was introduced to of him and his work mm -hmm. and my partner, Lolly, read it first. And she was like, oh my gosh, I so resonate with him. You're going to love this book. Wait till you read it. You're going to just see so much of yourself. And I read the book and I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Like psychology, like definitely resonate it. But this particular book, he kept talking about finding his purpose and, you know, shifting into this now life of purpose. And I just couldn't resonate. Like purpose was just like an idea. And this was one of those areas where I'm like, okay, I, I must have missed that chip. I'm just someone who's purposeless, like mm. purpose, passion, like mm, doesn't register, doesn't resonate. 
Yeah. Um, little did I know. And the reality of my experience, Amelia, at that time was I didn't because I wasn't living in purpose. I was living in survival mode. Like we just both agreed. I believe that purpose mm-hmm. doesn't have doesn't fit in when my priority is survival. I'll worry yeah. about purpose tomorrow. So that experience I had of not resonating with purpose was what I'd lived for 20 plus years at that time, because in survival mode, we are directionless. Our direction is maintain survival for that next moment. There is no grand place that I'm walking. So for me, it's just been hearing you even bring that concept. It's like my personal victory of really doing the work of healing to the extent that I now, I I live in purpose every day. Um, I feel so purposeful, so passionate um, about what I do, how I show up, how I translate these teachings to the world that would I read a book now about purpose, I, I'm getting chills <laughs> saying mm-hmm. it now. So clearly I now resonate and again, sharing all of that to the suggestion out there. Um, and I know authentic self is one of those concepts too, that we want the roadmap. We want the, you know, after so many miles turn right. Okay. And at what, when do I turn left? And we want the exact directions to find or the tips or the tools or the exercises to tap into this authentic self. And the reality is it's, in my opinion, at least the way I describe it is it's a journey of uncovering or of the proverbial peeling back of all of the layers of the onion, um, witnessing from that conscious place, that conditioning, learning to make choices outside of that so that I'm living in a regulated, safe body so then I could drop into and actually allow myself to be guided by where my intuition comes from and that by over time where my purpose and my passion mm-hmm. and my you know roadmap evolves and that's my heart. And mm-hmm. when I can be connected right to that heart space, then I begin to resonate with these ideas like direction and intuition. And I get to, you know, hear when my heart is kind of, you know, my my body is telling me that that's not the direction for me. And I'm starting to feel tense or tight or clenched or fearful or open and expansive and 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 easeful, um, obviously as the alternate. And then I could drop into because the thing about that roadmap that we're always looking for at 20, at 30, at whatever age we're looking for, at 50, 60, 70, some of us are discovering or rediscovering, right, who we are. That person never left. The issue with that roadmap and how do we know it's going to work when I'm 40, 50, 60? I'm going to be 40 um, next month. So while I've lived my body, you know, for 30 plus years right now, I don't know what 40 is going to feel like. I don't know what 50 is going to feel like. So if I'm relying on this external thing of things that worked and going back to this idea of, right, of, of consistency and habits, and I just do the same thing kind of like a robot every day. And on the surface, it might feel like it's a good habit because it's the gym and that's healthy, right? Am I actually tuned into my body? You know, did my body maybe need rest on that particular day at that hour? Same thing goes with aging, yeah. right? So that guidance, that authentic self and the purpose and passion and intuition that all come wrapped up in it come when we're or speak to us through the vessel or the organ that is our heart, which again, bringing this beautifully full circle is why, in my opinion, it's so important to become conscious, to look at our whole system, our mind, body, our soul, um, all of the impact of these environments and this conditioning and all of the choices that we're not necessarily making because we're allowing our autopilot to make that are Mm -hmm. keeping us dysregulated and dysfunctional. And then over time, gradually giving us the opportunity to reconnect to relearn um, the messages that our heart is telling us and then making it a consistent effort to on the daily drop into there when we're looking for direction, not our mind, not asking or vetting all of our friends and what they think we should do. Maybe do all of that, 
but have those moments as well where we're just asking ourselves what that next step is. And hmm. while many of us want to know the whole roadmap, like you said, like we're directionless, we want to figure out. Unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily work where we get to know the whole, every step yeah. of the journey. And that's, again, our mind's desire for that certainty of knowing what comes next. Yeah. So it's really, in my opinion, not only learning how to drop in, how to cultivate back to this idea of expanding and experiences and emotions and right cultivate confidence and trust that even if you did mess misstep, right, and maybe take a left when you need to take a right, trusting yourself enough that you can deal with what will come on the left and that you can also then have the confidence that you'll know that that isn't the right way for you at some point and then you'll reroute your journey hmm. um, and that's about as far ahead as our intuition actually gifts us and that's okay because we don't have the mind reading ability to know what comes next we actually only really presently need to know how to navigate now we can have an idea of a direction when we cultivate that connection and confidence inside, then we can learn how to walk confidently toward whatever that journey is gonna take us. Yeah, and, and our body is in constant communication with our soul. For some people, it's on speed dial. And for some people, it's like one of those contacts that you lost that someone gave you like their business card and you yeah. lost it. <laughs> so, and because I, I say that because you mentioned the word chills. Um, and I feel like chills is a signal from the soul to the body telling you you're going in the right direction. Uh, whatever you just said or whatever you just heard is in alignment with yes. with with that soul. Um, even um, I was having a conversation with the founder of Uggs, the, 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 the household brand, and he wrote a book called The Birth of a Brand. Um, and he mentioned every single time that he got goosebumps, he knew that, you know, the universe, God, whatever word, higher power you want to use was telling him, keep going. Encouragement, you know, keep going, keep going in this direction. I get chills during every single interview. Exactly. And it happens like it's it's so beautiful um, because our soul is this ethereal part that we can't see. Um, you know, we can't explain materially, but we know it's there. And for centuries, like we've had a word for it, the spirit, you know authentic self maybe be a word for for the soul um and you know just to start wrapping up i, I really want to just um ask you a couple final questions we call this the final trio um it's a like a final segment on the show rapid fire questions you can answer in any form you want um but before that i know there are a couple very exciting projects that are going on for you right now um so the book, how to do the work. Um, there's something coming to complement this book. Can you tell us what it is and where can people find you and connect with you? People probably uh, already know who you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, absolutely. So you can find me daily um, across the social media platforms: Instagram, the dot holistic dot psychologist, um, TikTok platform. There's a YouTube channel. I'm so searching Dr. Nicola Perra, holistic psychologist across all of those channels. Um, can find me. I also have a website, theholisticpsychologist.com for more information on my global self-led virtual membership, the Self-Healer Circle. Um, and I forgot to mention podcast as well, the Self-Healer Soundboard. And the new project that I have the amazing opportunity to be working on. So really since I left, um, I no longer work individually with clients, but I'd done that work for, for several years and um, really thinking about uh, 
people and and working and thinking about a, a journey of interestingly enough what most of us want to do meet who we are and um, how to translate those tools into a comprehensive package and after writing how to do the work while it did make a very intentional effort to have it a practically applied book at the end of every chapter. There's journal prompts, exercises, um, how to translate the concepts in that chapter into the practical application. Um, I also see saw the opportunity and was given the opportunity to write a more comprehensive workbook specific. And so actually this December, um, my new workbook called How to Meet Yourself um, will come out and it will take everyone through or readers through a journey of beginning to peel back that on those onion layers so beginning in a practice of consciousness everything we talked about here today yeah. learning how to view all of these condition ways of being and then ultimately peeling back those onions to unpack and begin to reconnect with our amazing incredible heart coherent um, authentic self within so i'm super yeah. excited it's been a project my team and i have been working on for this past year um, and I'm actually tomorrow I have to send off the final round of edits to print and wow. off it goes. So I'm wow. nearly done yes. and super excited for it to live in the world. Amazing. I'm so excited for that because your book is, you know, foundational for anyone starting a healing journey. Uh, December 6th, that's coming out. You know, people can pre-order now. And I know that. Oh, yes, it's pre-order. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes, it's on mm. all of the platforms, um, usually on all my social media accounts. It's mentioned the website will have a landing pad to buy it in all the different ways, international included. So thank you. Yes, pre-orders do help. Um, it will get delivered, though, if you do order anytime between now and December 6th. Um, hopefully it'll get to you on or around December 6th, delivery date, publication mm. date. Amazing. Final trio. Uh, I love Let's this segment. It. These questions are always uh, different. Um, you know, I, it's it's interesting because I get to just like see what what is going to spark the most nuggets of wisdom mm -hmm. um, from our guests. And the first one is kind of a, a question that you might be asked at a bar or at the beach, uh, okay. which is, Dr. Nicole, um, what are your what do your tattoos mean on your left forearm? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, my I had to check which arm was. Those are chakras. They are our body's energy centers. Um, all of my tattoos actually have, I've gotten them at different periods of my life. I usually wait for inspiration. And typically they're symbolic of something that I'm thinking about at that time, working through or want to actively mm -hmm. remind myself and think about. So this is one I, I got several years ago now, likely when I was first discovering the body um, that I lived in one and that it's incredibly powerful and yeah. um, has this energy. I really discovered in very many ways, like the authentic self. If all the scientists out there want to translate it, um, it's this energy. And I really started to understand or got curious to then begin to understand um, how important our energy is and was introduced to the concept that we have these incredible energy centers and you referenced um, ones when we were speaking earlier that actually impact the way our body functions and the way the world around us functions. So I thought, what better an opportunity than to put it on my arm and remind me that I am energy and that I can remain connected and balanced in my energy regardless of what's happening around me. I love that. We are energy. Second question is, what does a day in the work look like for you? Oh, I love that. Um, so very similarly to what I was professing earlier, while I do have somewhat of a consistent um, arrangement of my day, um, I'm very open to that point of connection, always making sure that I'm asking myself what I need 
um, in any given moment because there are moments where I am men. But typically, um, I've given myself the opportunity through much movement of my sleep time. Um, I was someone who went to bed very late, struggled to get up in the morning. A lot of it was, again, connected to the lack of wellness and balance um, in my body and my nervous system. So after training myself to go to sleep earlier with the intention being of carving out some morning hours, because um, I had noticed very early on, well, as part of one of my conditioned patterns of relating to others in the world around me is I love to achieve, um, which is why I went to school for <laughs> decades of time. <laughs> um, and how that translates in my day-to-day -day life is I like to get right into work. So when I have something on my to-do list, which is daily now running my own business and doing everything I do with all the opportunities, every day I have something to do. Um, and so the biggest challenge for me was resisting that habitual tendency to prioritize getting into my emails, getting work done. Um, because I noticed if I dive right into that, if I wake up only in time to like get right into my work day, then by the end of my day, if I'm being honest, I'm tired. I don't really want to be caring for myself. And I've also seen right that that's a version of me putting work in this role um, above myself. So something that's really foundational on my healing journey is reconnecting with my body and making sure that I'm sending it a message of priority. Like I, the person that's going to show up in that later work task, obligation, meeting, whatever it is, presentation is only going to be as impactful as they are if they're grounded, connected, present, curious, mm. imaginative, right? And all of the things. And that begins when I care for myself. So very long-winded way of saying I wake up early to make sure that I have the hours. I still battle my subconscious though that wants to get right on my email. Um, yeah. And then typically though, during those hours of the morning, my priority is moving my body. Looks different every day because I don't like just doing the same consistent. Some mornings it'll be yoga. Um, other mornings it'll be, I have a bike that I ride. I have a punching bag outside. Um, so I, I walk. So I try to do some version of movement um, consistently every day. And this hadn't been the case. While I've been athletic my whole life, I was definitely not a consistent person or in terms of body movement or the gym. Um, I don't really love that either, which is why mm. I kind of rotate what I do to make sure that it's exciting and new and playful um, in ways. And I also make it a priority in those morning times. Um, I journal every day. I actually created a practice called Future Self Journaling, and you can read about it um, and how to do the work. So I actually supply some journal prompts um, for the particular topics there. Um, essentially what journaling is, having never been a person who journaled my thoughts or my feelings um, in childhood, which might not surprise you now as I've shared uh -huh. some of my relationship <laughs> with my emotions that didn't exist. So definitely wasn't journaling about them. Um, I discovered and began to, I got curious about a way to utilize a journaling practice in an intentional um, neuroscience-based way to create change. So what I came mm. up with are prompts that actually anyone listening can get for free. They're on my website, theholisticpsychologist.com. Again, if you sign up for the email list, um, a whole expanded version, packet, how-to with those daily prompts will get sent in a PDF to your email. And really what it is, is it's the daily setting through a journaling practice of an intention of the new choices that you're committing to making for yourself. And mm. why I, I call it an exercise in neuroscience, and I do it to this day, um, is two things are happening. Not only am I consciously present to the setting of this new intention, assuming that it's a new choice, right? It's not that autopilot. I'm going to continue to maintain whatever change I'm doing. Um, I also capitalize on the fact that our brain doesn't know the difference between what is real 
really already happened and what is already imagined. So yeah. the way the prompts are constructed, that in the act of writing the intention as if it's happened, we're now harnessing, right, laying down some new neural network um, in my brain that will make increase the likelihood. Because I did want, I do want to acknowledge, it's not a magic journal. I don't talking about magic. Uh, I don't close it. <laughs> sparks don't come out. And I'm all, I'm changed now. That was a yeah. tool to help do those two things. Remind me that oh yeah, and you know I, I want to make this new choice to be present during lunch as opposed to being on my phone. So if I've written that in my journal in the morning, I might remember it by lunchtime because I've primed myself. I'm just using a silly objective example, but, and if I prime yeah. myself that I'm already the person who is present during lunch and that allows me to be connected to my body and whether or not it's full and satisfied because I'm working on a new relationship with nutrition, maybe I've already rehearsed that. So now it's still new, but it's not as new because mm. the more consistently I've written that now every morning, if you do so as consistently as every day for the foreseeable future as I've been, right? And you can change the choice you're making every day, but sticking with one consistently enough until you prime it into the yeah. habit. Um, so somewhere in my morning, I'm journaling. And again, I'm changing though what I'm working on then throughout my day, but movement, mm -hmm. um, the journaling and, and a, like the journaling practice doubles as me being present. Um, some mornings I'll sit in a more structured type of meditation. Some mornings I won't. Um, yeah. And then I'll shift into my day. And then the real caveat is, do I bring those tools with me or do I shut my meditation door, close my magic journal and go right back into my autopilot? Because we really do want to set ourselves up to yeah. making those choices throughout the day. So the mornings help me to keep that awake, alive, yeah. so that I can continue to make those new choices to change. Yeah. yeah. And the big takeaway is, you know, healing and awakening. They all start with daily actions, daily yes. choices, as you mentioned in the work. Um, the final question, we, we're going to have to take a time warp on this one because it's it's based on the, the future. Um, and it, I kind of want you to imagine that, you know, in, in let's say 20 to 30 years, the world, we have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, but let's say you're on stage and you're looking out and you're seeing the faces of all of the the next generation of leaders. So the, the, the next generation in the present AKA the features, the leaders of the future. Um, and you were asked to give a, a final statement, um, hopefully not not final, final, because <laughs> I'd, I'd love to do this again. Um, but what what would be that final statement um, for the next generation of leaders as you're looking at them? Um, they're gonna inherit inherit the new world, uh, passing the baton in, in, in so to speak. Uh, what would you say to them? That's just such a, a beautiful question. Um, first, I'd celebrate myself for <laughs> being able to have all those eyes on me. Um, interestingly enough, being seen, like I was sharing earlier, being on a even for, um, you know outward facing on an Instagram account, as much as it has been, you know, an exercise for me in, in taking up that space. There's a discomfort um, in in having myself seen and my messages um, mm -hmm. heard in that way. So. As my own imagining into this future self is going to continue to get more and more confident and empowered by the stage-like appearance, um, I think the message that I will impart on others, coming from from that own experience of overcoming, you know, those those difficulties, the discomfort that is still inherently there for me, um, it would be a message around around possibility. 
Um, because for me, that that's, that's so shifting again from limiting, from excluding myself from possibility, even the possibility of imagining being on a stage, a stage who wants to talk to I'm a little psychologist in Philadelphia. Um, so leaving future leaders um, with the hope for, because I know many people in that audience might be as an older version of myself, limited, not seeing that possibility, not having the mm -hmm. safety and security and the connectedness in their environments to feel that possibility or believe it to be true. Um, though I would want to extend and verbalize the reality um, of that possibility, of course, then using my own journey as a as a point of information, allowing those of little me's in the audience to exclude themselves <laughs> from that possibility, um, though with the hope that it gets implanted as a seed and that over time, um, all of us, whether or not we grow into, I think in, in every way, honestly, leadership is another one of those areas that I think we limit what we think leading is, right? If we're not the CEO or we don't have the team below us, we somehow mm. think that we're not leaders. Um, I think we lead every day by the way we show up. I know those of us who have families and children and, you know, are leading. Um, so while we, when we say an audience of leaders, I, I do want to honor all of the different ways that all of us lead. Um, yeah. and can lead and the possibility again of the futures that we can lead into. Hmm. Nicole, thank you absolutely so much from the heart. Um, I wanted to honor your courage for getting on that virtual stage and um, <laughs> amassing, you know, all this community of self healers that will continue to heal themselves and change the world. Um, I'm so excited to continue following your journey and um, anything that you need, I'm here. Um, much appreciated, much love and all the blessings for your future, future path. Well, thank you, Emilio. Thank you for your time, your presence, your energy, being interested and curious um, and having this chat with me. And I truly appreciate all of you listening. Um, I appreciate your support and I look forward to connecting in the future as well. Much love. And with that, a new season ends and a new one begins on the podcast. I just wanted to thank you guys. If you're new here, if this is the first episode you're listening to, welcome. And if you've been a listener on the show you already know what it is. We're going to be coming out with some powerful episodes on this podcast. Um, we're going to be talking so many broad topics uh, this season from the afterlife, masculine leadership, how we can become greater and more powerful and unlimited in our lives by elevating our consciousness, which is the main message. And by elevating our consciousness, we get to go within ourselves and expand even more to the depths of who we are. And I wanted to just end off by telling you that all paths lead inward. No matter where you are in your life right now, every single decision that you have to make right now is leading you back to you. So that's the main message I want to take from even this episode with Dr. Nicole, she really was dropping nuggets of wisdom on this episode. And if you like this episode, why not share it with a friend? This is the most powerful thing that you could do right now after gaining so much new knowledge. The most fulfilling task that we can do is share it. And you're also going to help bring awareness to the podcast and grow as a community of seekers of wisdom. 
So much appreciated and much love. We'll see you next week. We're dropping new episodes every Tuesday. And coming up soon, we'll also be putting out episodes en español for the Spanish-speaking community. I'm so excited for that. And with that, I'll be tuning off for today and wishing you guys best of love for today. Just tell someone you love them. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Peace.